Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Mark 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind, took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, And others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Good morning, everyone. Thank you very much, Peter, for reading for us. It's very good to see you all here this morning. Uh, If you're here for the first time with us, an especially warm welcome to you. We're going to spend the next few minutes uh, looking through and considering those verses we've just had read. And so do keep the Bible um, open there in front of you, Mark chapter 8, page 1012. And as we uh, turn to look at that, let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we do indeed pray that you would speak to us now through your holy word, that you would give us eyes to see and understand and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin uh, by asking you what you make uh, of this sign here. Um, Take a good look. Uh, What do you see? Uh, I remember very well uh, as a child um, climbing into my parents' bed in the morning and snuggling under the covers and looking at a version of this sign that they had in their bedroom and having no idea what I was looking at. Um, It perplexed me uh, for a very long time before I finally saw what was really there. Uh, Some of you will just see a series of fairly random uh, black lines um, and nothing more. Uh, But others of you will see a word Um, If you're struggling, uh, then rather than looking at the black lines, uh, look instead at the white space created between the lines. Uh, Do you see it? What what does it say? Shout it out, someone. Jesus. Jesus. Of course the answer is Jesus. We're at church. The answer is always Jesus. You didn't even need to see the sign to know that would be the answer, did you? Uh, it's, um, It's possible, isn't it, for us to see the same thing and yet not all of us are to be seeing the same thing. Um, only some of us actually seeing Jesus. Uh, What is true of our physical sight is also true of our spiritual sight. We can all look at Jesus and consider him in the pages of Mark's gospel, as we have been doing over recent weeks, and yet only some of us see him for who he really is. 
the disciples had spent a lot of time with Jesus, but in the verses that we looked at last time, uh, we saw Jesus describe them as those who have eyes but fail to see. It's not that they didn't have physical sight, of course, but that they didn't have spiritual insight and understanding. And so they couldn't see what was right in front of them, or rather who was right in front of them. They were making the mistake of failing to see Jesus for who he really is. Now, of course, it doesn't really matter whether or not you can see what's on that sign. It will be frustrating some of you if you didn't. But it does matter hugely whether, whether or not we see Jesus for who he really is. Uh, most of uh, the time, TV adverts are a little bit of a, a, a nuisance, aren't they? But occasionally you get a TV advert, which is brilliant um, and uh, really fun to watch. And I love that series of adverts, and there are dozens of them now, that all end uh, with that line, should have gone to Specsavers. Uh, you know the ones. Basically, people uh, doing stupid things that they would have been able to avoid had they gone to the optician. Um, so there's one where you see a, a lumberjack cut down a, a row of trees and look at it proudly only to realise that it's a series of power lines he's cut down. Uh, should have gone to Specsavers. Uh, there's another one where a train arrives into the station and a man gets off and waves to his wife who's there to welcome him. And she runs down the platform towards him and gives a long, passionate kiss to the man standing next to him. Should have gone to Specsavers. Um, and the adverts make their point, don't they? Don't go around with poor eyesight making mistakes like that. But here's the thing, too many of us, too much of the time, are content to walk around without clear spiritual eyesight, making far more serious mistakes. And while we might be able to get away with not going to spec savers, when it comes to our spiritual sight, there are some things we really have to see and see clearly. Well, over this and the next two weeks, as we uh, draw this series in Mark chapter 7 to 8 to a close... We're going to the heart of the gospel as Jesus gives us spiritual insight into three things that we and anyone else we're seeking to share the gospel with really must see and understand and believe in order to be able to call ourselves followers of Jesus. We're going to see Jesus answering the three big questions that Mark's gospel addresses. Firstly, his identity. Who is Jesus? Secondly, his mission. Uh, what did he come to do? And thirdly, his call. What does it mean to follow him? His identity, his mission, and his call. One after another, back to back, Jesus addresses those questions at the heart of the gospel. And the first of those, the identity of Jesus, who is Jesus, we're dealing with this morning. In the verses uh, uh, that we just had read, we witness the disciples who have eyes but fail to see gradually receiving their sight. But before we get there, Mark seemingly interrupts the focus on the disciples and their spiritual sight to tell us about Jesus healing a blind man. But the key is to realize that that isn't a diversion or a sideshow. Mark doesn't get distracted from talking to us about the disciples and then kind of remember, oh, yes, I was supposed to be telling you about that, wasn't I? Let's get back to the disciples. No, rather, Mark puts the miracle here to show us what's going on in the disciples it's a visible picture of what's happening invisibly in the disciples. Uh, so let's take a look here down at verse 22 to begin with. Uh, we read there, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, 
do you see anything? Now, there's something very striking here about how physically involved Jesus is in performing this miracle. And we know that Jesus can perform a miracle from a distance with just a word. We've seen him do it in Mark's gospel. But here he gets very physically involved. Did you notice that? I'm told that when you lose one of your senses, your other senses become especially heightened. So if you were to wear a blindfold for a while, after a time, your hearing would become more sensitive. Um, and you would become much more aware of what things feel like to touch. And so for this blind man, he must have been acutely aware of the physical contact that Jesus was making with him. It says Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. So he could feel Jesus' hand on his own, leading him forward. And then Jesus spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, uh, that is on his eyes, um, can you imagine someone putting their hands on your eyes? It's, it's actually a very peculiar kind of feeling. I can't remember anyone ever having put their hands on my eyes, even at Specsavers. It is a very kind of intimate and personal thing to do. It's just like the healing of the deaf and mute man back in chapter 7. Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears and touched his tongue. Why so physical and involved? Well, I think it's because here we see Jesus acting, behaving more like a doctor than a a miracle worker. Of course, it was a miracle, but he's working. He's tangibly involved. He's physically applying himself to restore the sight of this man. And that's significant because this miracle isn't just about showing us that Jesus can heal the blind. He could have done that in an instant. It's telling us something about how he's giving sight to his spiritually blind disciples. It's a visible picture of what he's doing invisibly in them. With them too, he is closely, personally involved in helping them to see and understand, spending months and years traveling with them, teaching, explaining, showing them what is true. For half the gospel now, he has been applying himself to helping them understand. He's been rolling up his sleeves and getting to work on their spiritual eyes. What he's doing here physically with the man, he's been doing spiritually with his disciples, a close, intimate, involved, focused work. It's how he works then, and it's how he works now in each of us by his Holy Spirit. Jesus isn't distant and disinterested in us. When he returned to heaven, he didn't say, I'm off now, here's a Bible, good luck. What did he say? He said, it's good for you if I go, because then I'll give you the Holy Spirit who will come to live in you and lead you and guide you. And so Jesus still loves to be at work on us, in our hearts and our minds, through his word, the Bible, by his spirit, helping us to see and understand and respond rightly to him. Like this blind man, we can't see Jesus. But we can hear his voice leading us through his word. And maybe as you've listened to his word, you can testify to this yourself, that experience of knowing him leading you and giving you sight into something, some truth you've not seen or understood before. You see, he still works like this today in us, in a close, involved, and personal way. The other thing to notice from this miracle is that the man's sight is restored gradually, not all at once. It's there at the end of verse 23, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. 
The man could see something, but his sight was still badly out of focus. So look at verse 25. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Mark says it three times to emphasize the point. Um, It says his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, he saw everything, everything clearly. 2020 vision for this man. At last the blind man could see, but it came about gradually. He could see a bit, wasn't in focus. Jesus put his hands on him again, then he could see everything clearly. And that wasn't because Jesus was kind of losing his touch. He didn't kind of have to shake his hands and go, I'm sorry, this normally works. (laughs) Kind of, I'll try again. That's not it. Jesus is making a point with the healing of this man about what's going on in his disciples. It's a visible picture of what he's doing invisibly in them. As things stand, his disciples are spiritually blind. They have eyes but fail to see. But in the next few verses, we're going to see that they wonderfully, miraculously begin to see what they have right up to this point been failing to see, the identity of Jesus. But their sight, that is their insight and spiritual understanding, is still way out of focus. Take a look with me down at verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? There we have it, the issue of Jesus's identity. By this point, we're halfway through the gospel, and this is the big question the whole of the first half has been building up to. Who is Jesus? Who do people say I am? And their reply shows us that people had a variety of views about Jesus. Look down there at verse 28. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. You see, both then and still today, Jesus is a very controversial figure. I remember a number of years ago uh, when I was a student here in Sheffield, a group of us from the Christian Union going out on the concourse outside the uh, main students' union building uh, with our clipboards and some questionnaires and uh, asking passing students whether they would mind answering a few questions for us. And um, for those who were willing, we um, asked them a few uh, questions, including what they made of Jesus, who they thought he was. And even in our post-Christian society, there was no one who didn't know who I was talking about. Everyone knew the name of Jesus, which in itself is kind of remarkable. He was a Middle Eastern carpenter who got executed, and yet 2,000 years later, talked to people on the street. People know who you're talking about. And most people had some kind of view of who he was. Uh, Some people said, oh, I don't know. But most people had at least a loosely held view of who Jesus was. Uh, Maybe he's a teacher of morals, some people thought, or or a wise person, a populist revolutionary. I remember speaking for a while with a Muslim who thought, as Muslims do, that Jesus was a prophet, but nothing more. So many opinions, and it was fascinating to hear what people thought about him. Jesus asked, who do people say I am? Well, I suppose the disciples could have gone, you know, Jesus, that, that's a really great question. You know, I'd like to answer that properly. What we're going to do is we're going to get our clipboards and we're going to get some surveys. We're going to hit the streets and we're going to ask people exactly that. Uh, then they could have gone home and created a nice little bar graph that uh, kind of showed kind of how many people believed the more popular kind of common views of who Jesus was. And they could have gone back to him and answered that really thoroughly Really great question, Jesus. We'd like to answer that properly for you. But all of that would have been a distraction from the key question that Jesus is actually building towards. 
Because now Jesus asks the disciples a question that is nearly identical, but in fact totally different. Who do people say I am was the question. But now, verse 29, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Only one word has changed, but now it's a completely different question. When it's about what others say, the issues are arm's length. It's a theoretical question. But now it becomes personal as the spotlight is turned on the disciples themselves and what they believe. What about you? Who do you say I am? Put down the clipboard. I want to know what you think. And at this point in Mark's gospel, the question directed at the disciples is supposed to grab us, the readers, as well. It's almost as though Mark's hand reaches out through the pages of the gospel and grabs us. says, what about you? You've seen the evidence over the last eight chapters. Who do you say he is? It's the question that we all face. Who is he? And as Jesus delivers this question, it's as though he's saying to his disciples, who he spent all this time with, it's time to make up your mind, to nail your colors to the mast, to show your hand, to declare where you stand. Who do you say I am? And for those of us who are Christians here, we mustn't brush off that question because we already know the right answer or even because we already believe the right answer. If we treat Jesus' question here in a trivial way, we'll deliver our answer to it in a trivial way. Rather, we need to allow this question to lean on us heavily. Who do you say I am? Really? Because our reply to that question isn't the end of the road. It's the beginning of a whole stream of implications that run out and over into every corner of our lives. Who do you say I am? And Peter, hearing this question, replies with four little words, but words on which the whole of Mark's gospel hinges and turns. There at the end of verse 29. You are the Christ. Small words, but huge in their significance. Mark began his gospel in chapter 1, verse 1, like this. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ the Son of God. We haven't heard again that word Christ, Jesus Christ, all the way through these chapters until it appears now on the lips of Peter in chapter 8, verse 29. From that very first verse, Mark has been driving us to this conclusion. You are the Christ. We must allow ourselves to see the magnitude of that statement. Christ wasn't simply a name so much as a title, meaning God's chosen one. It spoke of a person the Israelites had been looking forward to for centuries, even millennia. A promised saviour who would come and set God's people free by destroying the tyranny of sin and death. A king descended from David who would perfectly rule and care for God's people. Someone who was himself God come to rescue his people. And all these longings were wrapped up in the promised person of the Christ. It was written in Isaiah 35, your God will come. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And all of those things have now happened in Mark's gospel. And so perhaps it was with this healing of the blind man that for Peter, the penny finally dropped 
And he allowed those momentous words to finally spill from his lips, you are the Christ. Peter had looked at Jesus countless times before, but now for the first time, he was really seeing. Not just Jesus the man, but Jesus the Christ. Jesus his God standing right there in front of him. At Christmas, uh, we sing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Now Peter is really seeing. You are the Christ. But, but, like the blind man, halfway through the healing, Peter sees only in part. He's grasped that Jesus is the Christ. This is a crucial moment in Mark's gospel, but it quickly becomes clear that his sight is still limited. We might have expected uh, Jesus to have heard Peter say, you are the Christ, and to have responded, brilliant, at last you've got it, now go and tell everyone you can. But what does he actually say? Do you see what he says in verse 30? Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Why would he say that? The answer we'll look at in more detail next week uh, because it comes in the following verses. But it's basically this, that Peter's understood the identity of Jesus, but not his mission or his call. At this point, if the disciples had started to tell people the news about Jesus, they might have said something like this, he's the Christ, wonderful, so he's come to overthrow the occupying Roman army. That's not why he's come. Or they might have said, he's the Christ, come to rescue us, brilliant, we must take up arms and join him in the struggle. That's not what it means to follow him. They've more to see and understand before they're ready to start sharing the good news with the world. Like the man Jesus healed, they will eventually see everything clearly, but at this point, they're only halfway through receiving their sight. Now, I just want to take a few uh, minutes uh, to consider from this account how the blind man received his sight. might seem like an obvious question, but think about it. Firstly, someone brought him to Jesus. And then secondly, those people asked Jesus, in fact, they begged him to touch him in order to heal him. Two crucial things without which this man would have remained blind. But neither would have meant a thing if it weren't for the third thing that happened. Jesus took the man by the hand and led him and worked to give him sight. And that is such a helpful pattern for us to see as we think about sharing our faith with others and indeed as we think about our own faith. For those of us who are Christians, when we're seeking to share our faith with others, this is what they need us to do for them. They need us to take them to Jesus. Nowhere else, to nothing else, to no other topic of religious interest. They need us to take them to this man at the heart of the gospel. So in conversations, aim to talk with people about him and who he is. Let's be very practical for a moment. And you could say to a friend something like this, you know I'm a Christian, that Jesus means a lot to me. I hope you don't mind me asking, but I'd just love to know what it is, who it is you think Jesus was. Have you ever had the chance to think about that? I know that involves a gear change, but turning a conversation to Jesus always does, so be bold, go for it. Uh, It's very hard, actually, for someone to be offended when you ask them their opinion about something. So that's a little tip. Um, And like the blind man's friends, having brought people to Jesus, we need to beg him to give them sight, to be faithful in earnestly praying for the Lord to have mercy on them. And I I kind of almost hesitate to make this point because I, I must be a man who practices what he preaches, 
And I feel very convicted about this. But perhaps it is when we come to thinking about sharing the gospel, perhaps it's true that sometimes our fruitlessness is a result of our prayerlessness. How we need to plead with the Lord on behalf of our friends. So let me ask, is there someone you're seeking to bring to Jesus at the moment? And are you begging Jesus to give them sight? When this man had received his sight, he must have been so grateful, of course, first of all, to Jesus, but then also to his friends who brought him there and who pleaded on his behalf. But this account also shows us that in someone receiving spiritual sight, we shouldn't exaggerate our role. We can take people to Jesus, we can plead on their behalf, but only Jesus can give them sight. Of course, we want to become better at answering people's questions helpfully, but we will never have power to make the blind see. And that is actually very liberating. I can't be God. I don't have to be. He doesn't ask me to be. I just need to be a good friend, taking them to Jesus, praying for them, and looking to him to do the rest. And so don't become weighed down by some kind of responsibility to make your friends Christians. That was never meant to be your responsibility. It's much simpler than that. Speak of Jesus. Speak of the hope that you have in him. Pray for them. But look to him to do the work that only he can do. So this pattern helps us in thinking about sharing our faith, but also in how I think about my own faith. If I really have come to see who Jesus is, and I'm trusting in and following him, there's really no place for pride. It's not a result of my own cleverness or wisdom, but his grace and kindness to have worked in me. Last time we saw the awful spiritual condition of the disciples. Blind eyes, slow minds, hard hearts, deaf ears, forgetful memories. And so we might have thought, what hope for these disciples? Answer, there is one who can open the eyes of the blind and his name is Jesus. He's the only hope any of us ever had. Deep gratitude, not pride, should be the response of our hearts to what Jesus has done in us by his spirit. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. All as a result only of his amazing grace. And finally, if you're hearing this and you're not yet a Christian, or if you're not sure, Can I gently ask you who you think Jesus is? What do you see when you look at him? And if you just see a man and wonder what everyone else is getting so excited about, are you sure you're seeing all that's really there? At the heart of the Christian message is a man, and it all hangs on who he is. It's not a question that we have to answer blind without any evidence. The evidence exists, it's free, and it's available. If you want to explore it more, I'll have some copies of this booklet, The Real Jesus, on the door, and there are some at the back as well. Just grab one and start exploring that evidence. There are some things that we can get away with not seeing. But we do each need to see Jesus. He's there, and if you keep looking... He'll give you eyes to see him for who he really is. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and for giving us eyes to see him for who he really is. And we pray, please help each of us, whatever level of sight we currently have, to see more and more clearly who he is and the implications for our lives. And equip us to tell those we know and neighbor throughout this city and beyond the glorious news of Jesus, the Christ. Come to us as one of us to save us. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen.